Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to At Barron's. I'm Andy Serwer, and welcome to our guest, Reed Hoffman, entrepreneur, venture capitalist, author, thought leader, co-founder of LinkedIn, who's now working almost exclusively on AI. Reed, great to see you. Great to see you. It's been it's been far too long, although we've known each other for years. Absolutely. Going all the way back to the PayPal mafia days. Exactly. Um, so let's start and talk about your AI portfolio career right now. And, and can you give us the lay of the land in terms of all of your various activities? There's obviously some creation of, of kind of companies. So like I've co-founded my first company since LinkedIn Inflection. It has a uh, personal assistant, a personal intelligence called Pi, which is live and available on iOS. And 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 the theory is, is that part of how um, we as human beings get amplified and what the future of artificial intelligence will be is that everybody has a uh, a kind of a personal intelligence that that is their kind of companion, their their navigation, and so that's 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 one really intense effort. I've also been doing a number of investments, um, you know, in everything from foundational models to applications like, you know, kind of Coda and Tome and other kinds of things that are the reinvention of work um, through artificial intelligence. Um, you know, I uh, was the first funder of OpenAI. Um, you know, in you know that years ago. So it's it's been a quite journey. Now, I've also, of course, been trying to help governments and industries navigate this well, because I think the dialogue is far too negative. I've been published, I published the first book on AI, uh, impromptu, co-authored with GPD-4. And this is, and, you know, helping academic things, you know, Stanford human-centered AI, and, so, and that's just scratching the surface. So it's like the all things AI is indeed all things AI. Yeah, yeah, I want to jump off onto almost all of those points that you just made in those endeavors. But first of all, why is AI kind of the only game in town for you? I mean, there's quantum computing, the metaverse, I guess we've almost forgotten about that. But there are other, there's biotech, there's other things that you could be working on, but you've really chosen to focus on AI. So I think, um, you know, part of it with the book Impromptu was that you know AI is actually better thought of as amplification intelligence. It's the steam engine of the mind, the same level of impact on the transformation of society that the steam engine had by giving us physical superpowers. Um, and those physical superpowers are everything from transport to manufacturing to construction to the transformation of the entire world. The steam engine of the mind is gonna do the same thing, but cognitively. For us, and it's going to be that kind of amplifier across all industries. And so, for example, a, a you know steel manufacturer might say, "Well, what what does AI have to have for me?" It's like, well, actually, in fact, because we're linguistic creatures, and the steam engine of the mind is helped with sales, marketing, meetings, analysis, financial stuff, etc. There will be essentially amplifications and all that. And it's bigger than the internet. It's bigger than mobile. It's bigger than cloud because it takes all of those puts them together and amplifies them, right? Because it's built off top off the top of them. And that's part of the reason why we have such an important moment here. And part of the thing is, is you know, a natural human reflex to say, well, let's talk about risks, let's talk about uncertainties. And by the way, we should of course navigate those. 
but we have line of sight now to such things as a medical assistant on every smartphone. Eight billion people in the world, less than, much less than a billion have access to a GP doctor, right? This is the kind of transformation we can see, right? Right, right. And, and that's why it's so important, not just for obviously industry and investing and venture capital and all the rest of the stuff, which is of course great, but also, of course, for us as human beings and us as societies. Yeah, I want to follow up on that one point about the phone and the medical assistant, for instance. How specifically could AI change my life, person on the street, within the next five years? Well, so the medical assistant, frankly, is already doable if it's allowed to exist. If you take GPD-4 and, and don't safety train it to try to steer well away from you know, all kind of medical regulation, you know, kind of stuff. It can do this in, 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 in kind of good ways. And you could, that's not before you get to specifically training it. So that's within five years. Um, similarly, you can have a tutor on a smartphone or any computational device for every subject, uh, for every age. So like one of the really delightful things I just, I just learned recently is my friend, Kevin Scott, who's the CTO of Microsoft, his daughter, has this intense interest in, you know, kind of like at the moment, organic chemistry. She goes and gets the papers, she's 15. She goes and gets the papers and she goes to GPD-4 and she goes, explain this to me as a 15 year old. And so the science paper can be explained to her, right? And I was like, ooh, that's a good idea. I'm gonna start doing that, <laughs> right? And so, so that's today, like let alone five years. Then when you get to five years, you begin to go, well, there's clearly some things that are line of sight, which is every professional activity will have a co-pilot, a personal intelligence. So whether you're, you know, uh, a accountant, a lawyer, a doctor, an investor, you know, an executive, et cetera, you will have artificial intelligence assistance. That doesn't mean they do your job for you. You know, the first question that occurs to everybody. Um, but it does mean it helps you be much more effective in your job in various ways. And actually, surprisingly, even be more human. So for example, today we're, we're inundated, many of us, by lots and lots of emails and do not have time to reply nearly as well. Well, what if like the AI said, oh, as opposed to the, you know, someone sends you a proposal and you go, oh, that's kind of complicated, let's talk about it. It goes, oh, that's a really interesting proposal you've said. There's a couple of different questions that really need to be answered and has some complexity. I'd love to talk to you about it. I'm a little busy right now, maybe in a maybe in some time. And that's what the AI suggested. You're right. And you go, right, oh, right. great. I change it a little bit. I send it, <laughs> right? And all of a sudden, it's a much more human interaction versus, oh, complicated. Talk to you later, <laughs> right? Anyway, so that's the whole range of things that we're already seeing. Let me ask you about investors. I mean, you, you brought that up, and I'm curious, how could AI change the world of investing? Well, so already today, um, and you know, one of those, like GPT-4 already has a form of super intelligence, which is its breadth, right? So it doesn't, if I go to GPT-4 or its equivalent models, and I say, how do I make money by investing in AI? It doesn't give me anything useful. That's not a useful prompt. You have to you have to figure out what are the useful ways of using it. But for example, today I can do something like, well, I'm really interested in what are the patterns of synthetic biology that might be transformed by large language models, and it can give me a quick 
kind of almost like research analyst report on this. Like, like give me some detail. I can go into some detail on it. And that kind of thing, because of the breadth, can be very, very helpful. Um, or if I figure I need to look at something deeply technical and I don't fully understand it, say, for example, outside of my zone of artificial intelligence and computer science, like biology, I can go, please explain this to me, <laughs> right, this paper and so forth. So it already, because it has that breadth. So it already has that kind of research assistant set of capabilities that are useful today. Those will get better, right? Um, that's the line of sight utility, not just you know, like me communicating with entrepreneurs, not just me doing this kind of research, you know, kind of assistant stuff, like all of that stuff will get better. And then the question will be is, well, when does it get like even more interesting? Like, for example, you know, people are already taking you know, um, uh, you know, 10 Qs and S3s and putting them in and doing analyses and so forth. Like, when does it start getting to, ooh, that's even better as an amplifier? And that, I think we will see coming in the years. And staying on the subject of investing, a lot of people have been talking about opportunities for investors in the world of AI. And of course, NVIDIA has been subject A and Microsoft subject a point one or whatever, and you're on the board of Microsoft, I should mention. So is this something that's going to be captured, the utility is going to be captured primarily by the big companies, and or are there other ways for sort of ordinary people to invest? I know you're making venture investments harder for ordinary people to do. Yes, but probably a little bit indirectly. So I think, by the way, this is going to create enormous opportunities for large companies. I think, you know, Microsoft has been blazing the way and leading on that in various compelling ways. Um, I think it creates a lot of startup opportunities. So venture investing, so I've been doing that with, you know, Inflection and Adept and Coda and Tome and other things. And then when you get to say individuals, you go, well, okay, so we have a technological transformation. We've seen patterns of this within our lifetime. We've seen the internet, we've seen mobile, we've seen cloud. Okay, which companies are going to best benefit from this? And I can invest in those. Right, like if you believe in the in the transformation, you go okay. Which which ones of these in which time frames? And so you know, you know, if you're saying, hey, what what does my my public company stock portfolio look like? <laughs> right, you can make those kinds of judgments because I do think that one of the things is is it will affect every industry, and it's a little bit like if you know companies in the you know late 90s were saying, well, we don't need to be on the internet. You're like, well, okay, there's <laughs> You know, if you agree with them, <laughs> then fine. And if you disagree with them, then you trade to other people who are saying, here's our internet strategy. And that's the similar kind of parallel, whether it's, you know, mobile and all the rest in, in terms of looking at AI. And so I do think that, um, you know, kind of retail investors can participate, but it's more of an, that indirect judgment way. This episode is brought to you by Charles Schwab. Decisions made in Washington can affect your portfolio every day. But what policy changes should investors be watching? Washington Wise is an original podcast for investors from Charles Schwab that unpacks the stories making news in Washington and how they may affect your finances and portfolio. Listen at schwab.com slash Washington Wise. There seems to be this debate, read about pessimism versus optimism when it comes to AI. I'd imagine you're somewhat of an optimist. And then there's the people who want to move faster and the people who want to move slower, which matches somewhat that previously mentioned debate. Where do you stand on all that? Fundamentally, I describe myself as a techno-optimist, not a techno-utopian, 
which means that you can build the technology, you can shape it so that it's spectacular and really good for us. Um, and that's part of the reason why I tend to be a critic of the critics of saying we have to answer all the risks first. It's like, no, no, no. The way we build technology, just like we, we built cars before we built seatbelts, <laughs> right, is we build and we deploy and we iterate for this stuff. Now, that doesn't mean you don't pay attention and you navigate and improve because there's challenges as you go. But that's fundamentally optimistic. And... Um, and that's like the medical assistant on every phone, a tutor on every phone. Those are the things that we say, how do we get those to everybody um, as part of what we're doing? And so, like, for example, you know, the first chapter in Impromptu was about education because people's like, oh, my God, this is changing college homework and college essays. And you're like, yes, just because we used to do this for the last 80 years isn't the right way we should be doing it in the future. And now we can be doing it much better. And that's what we should be going towards. And that's 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 the direction of all this, which is the reason why I'm fundamentally optimistic. Now, there are people who say uh, everyone else gets out of the way, and whatever we can build, that's just great. And that's of course not the case, <laughs> right? Um, there's a reason why we say when we're building cars, the cars have to have a certain safety regime, have to have a certain climate impact regime, and so forth. Those are important things as we're going forward. That's a different parallel. I don't think we need those exact parallels in AI, but you go, look, let's make sure that that its impact, if it has access to children, that its impact on children has a certain rigor to it if you're making it available to children. If you're doing medical stuff, make sure you don't make dumb mistakes, <laughs> you know, et cetera. Anyway, so those those are the kinds of things that I think are that are important. So it, but that's why it's ultimately techno optimist. But practically speaking, Reed, how do we make it fair and transparent? Well, it's complicated because these are very large. These are these are they're they're inspired by the brain, and so they're large, complicated thing. We don't even fully understand. Like, there's lots and lots of stuff we don't understand about the brain. Now, that doesn't mean that's zero, because, for example, part of what you do is you say, well, let's build another AI that's monitoring the output of it and make sure that the output's good in various ways, and let's do human feedback, reinforcement learning, and, and we're learning off human documents and so forth. There's all ways of doing it. So you, so, you, so you can make it very good. And like, for example, you say, well, what about like bias in these systems? And the answer is, look, probably just like any human system, you can't probably get rid of all bias, just like you can't in human systems. Can you make it better than the average human that someone might have experience with? Like you say, well, there's credit loan officers. And if you go, well, the credit loan officers, if you take the thousand of them, there's some biases there. Can you make it better than if you had randomly gotten one of those thousand credit loan officers on average? The answer is yes, <laughs> right? So you can do that kind of thing, and but that's the benchmark. For it, and you try to make you you, you don't you don't take you, you always try to make it better, right? But you can make it better than the human benchmark parallels that we have. You wrote a book impromptu that you've mentioned with ChatGPT, and you know one is tempted to say, "What the hell?" I mean, I looked at it, and of course, there's all sorts of interaction. But what did you discover doing that book? Well, a number of things. So part of the, the 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 thesis was this is a human artificial intelligence is a human amplifier. It's our amplification intelligence. And I was like, well, how about you show, not just tell? So why don't you do this book showing its amplification of me and writing the book as part of it? And I think one of the side benefits is like people learn, oh, this is how you use the tool, this is how you can prompt in interesting ways and so forth, is a way of doing it. Now, it did show, it was, I think, useful, and it helped me write a book very quickly. 
Um, I think it showed the use of the tools in various ways and showed some optimistic cases. It also showed some places where, you know, there were thousands of pages of prompts that I did not include because they weren't good enough to be recommending to people's attention in a book. It was terrible at dialogue. Like I tried to get it to do a little bit of dialogue and pablum is probably the kind word uh, for for it. So, so it shows you that it's like, look, it's a great tool. It's a real amplifier, but it's a tool. And it's like, for example, if you say, well, I'm going to use the computer as a desk weight for my paper. Well, that's not a particularly good tool for that, right? It's a good tool for these other things. And that's the showing of it. And the general recommendation I have to everyone is go play with it some about some things that are serious and interesting to you. Some of them will be disappointing and some of them will be very interesting. And you start learning the tool in a way that helps amplify you. I mentioned you were on the board of Microsoft. What is the thing that would surprise people most about the company that they don't know? Oh, interesting question. Um, probably that Microsoft, um, while the things that are very well known about Microsoft, which is how do you amplify individuals and organizations to be the most productive people they can be, um, that they're also kind of deeply investing in the um, you know, kind of the guardrails of the technology to make sure that it it kind of fits a good place within human society, that 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 is that is part and parcel of the mission to help people be productive, um, and that the you know that their general participation in the AI ecosystem is not how to like they want to get a whole bunch of revenue and a whole bunch of success themselves, but they're also trying to make the whole ecosystem better. Um, so I think that probably would be where people might be surprised. Switching gears, you've donated to Democratic politicians as well as Nikki Haley, reportedly. What do you look for in a presidential candidate? So I've done. I've definitely also donated to Republicans over time because it's the best people for the job, the best people for the the country. I think that one of the problems we have in the in the 2024 coming election is that we're going to have a candidate who's going to be running on the 2020 election was was essentially fraudulent, which is, I think, a, you know, kind of the equivalent of a big lie, right? Kind of goes back to like Goebbels in Germany and so forth. It's, 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 it's terrible. And so I think it's very important to be pro-American democracy, pro our rule of law. And as part of that, um, it's, it's Nikki Haley is a competent, you know, kind of governor and 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 you know and and politician who who has a bunch of different policies that I disagree with, but is is part of a you know is 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 an American institutionalist in terms of our democracy and our rule law and so forth, and so in articulating that was to say look I will I support her too because I'm fundamentally first and foremost an American, a believer in our system, a believer in our constitution, a believer in our democracy, a believer in our coming together and working on these problems together. And so this was the kind of tangibly. Now, Nikki Haley versus Joe Biden, I'm going to donate to Joe Biden, right? I think Joe has done a great job of, in his presidency, most bipartisan legislation, climate change, you know, uh, you know, ec economic recovery compared to the world, navigating foreign policy, and a little bit like the soul of America, he just does it. He doesn't toot his own horn. He doesn't go try to be social media president. He tries to be president president. And final question, Reed, what do you get out of doing Masters of Scale, the podcast? Well, so part of the thing that I 
try to help is people frequently just talk about entrepreneurship as that idea, that invention. Obviously, critical, necessary. But the real thing that changes society is how these things get to scale and affect you know, millions to billions of people's lives in positive ways. And it's everything obviously from the, the kind of the, what is the lesson of kind of scale entrepreneurship in doing this, but also what we learn from that in how do we craft society? How do we improve people's lives and everything else? And so part of it is to share the, the learnings, the techniques, the journeys of, of the kind of people who have built scale, you know, kind of, uh, entrepreneurial uh, journeys and like one of the ones that 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 um, will be out soon and maybe out the time of this the, this is out is like the exploding kittens one right which is like like the scale journeys are everything not just these mega tech companies and not just but like like creation of board games and creation of fun and that learning that shares to all of us to we want more of it in our society we want to we want to participate in it. We want to be beneficiaries as, as citizens and as consumers. That's the thing that I get out of doing Masters of Scale. Reid Hoffman, thank you so much for your time. Andy, always a pleasure. This is At Barron's. I'm Andy Serwer. We'll catch you next time. The production team for At Barron's is Ellie Ismailadu, Rebecca Bisdale, Kinga Rojak, Joe Lusby, and Laura Salaberry. The executive producers are Kristen Bellstrom and Melissa Haggerty. We'll be back with a new episode next week.